You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. I don't know about you, but one of my most favorite things after a wonderful Thanksgiving meal are the leftovers, right? I mean, we all agree on that. I know the years we go to somebody else's house for Thanksgiving, uh, I really miss not being able to, you know, go to the refrigerator and pull out all of the leftovers and warm them up. And just recently, Danielle Borelli showed me how to make a uh, tortilla wrap, and, and it uses all of your leftovers. You just basically kind of just you know, assemble it all there on the tortilla, roll it up. Man, it is awesome. Um, and we actually were using those when we kind of were going out and doing the appreciation lunches with the fire department and the police department and the Iowa State Patrol, and uh, they were awesome. Do you know what leftovers are? Leftovers are a sign that everybody got all they wanted to eat, most people, most of us, get more than uh, we probably needed to eat. Everybody was blessed. Nobody went away empty or hungry. And there's still enough just to do it all over again and again. Whether you realize it or not, there is what some call the law of the leftovers. Now, I'm not talking about food uh, in this particular um, part. I'm talking about life. That law, the law of the leftovers, it really kind of finds its origin in an ancient scripture verse written uh, over, you know, 2,500 years ago by the very name and man Jim just talked about here, Solomon. In Proverbs 11:24, Solomon puts the law of the leftovers this way. He says, one gives freely and yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Another translation puts it this way. One person spends freely and yet grows richer, while another holds back what he owes and yet grows poorer. That's kind of the law of the leftovers. And this same law was also manifested in the life of a little boy who probably witnessed one of the greatest miracles Jesus ever performed. And I'm confident this young man, this little boy, remembered this for the rest of his life, as did anybody else who witnessed it. We're in a series kind of talking about naturally, supernatural, and we're really kind of looking at some of the miracles Jesus did while he walked upon this earth over 2,000 years ago. Last week, we kind of defined the word miracle and the way one Greek concordance defined it was explosions of almightiness. I love that. That's what a miracle is. It is just explosions of almightiness. Now the word miracle, uh, it really means impelling. Staggering wonders and astonishment. And we certainly see this in the miracles Jesus did. Now, when Jesus burst onto the scene uh, at the age of 30, after living... Up until that time, in relative obscurity, there were two things that immediately got the attention of most people. It was the truth he taught, the authority by which he taught it, and the miracles he performed. Now, the central truth of his teaching that really kind of fascinated and gripped the hearts of the people revolved around the kingdom of God. Now, now, the concept, the kingdom of God, it was something that just got every Jew's attention. They were just riveted on that concept 
because this is what they were yearning for, for God's kingdom to come in power to free them from the oppression of their enemies. So Jesus did not just teach about the kingdom of God, but he also demonstrated the power of the kingdom of God through what we call miracles or signs and wonders. Before the time of Jesus, there were miracles scattered here and there throughout the Old Testament. But overall, in the, in the span of all of those years, when, when you kind of look at the big picture, not that many miracles had occurred. Then Jesus comes, and there is just this explosion of almightiness, of miracles, unlike any other time or place. So much that, that, that people would just come to Jesus, they would flock to Jesus, they would follow Jesus, just so they might see him perform one of his miracles. Now in this series, we are trying to ask and answer some questions. Questions like, why did Jesus perform miracles? What were their purpose? Was there a deeper meaning in the message behind the miracles? I contend that, that every miracle Jesus did, there was also a message, something he was trying to communicate to people about God. And, and questions, does Jesus still perform miracles today? What do his miracles have to do with me? Last Sunday we talked about if you believe in God, then the possibility of miracles automatically shoots to 100%. Only a God can do miracles. Only a God who can do miracles is worth worshiping and believing in. So this morning I want to look at one of the more famous miracles Jesus performed. Because I believe what Jesus did in this miracle, he also wants to do in my life and in your life today. Every one of us has possessions, things that Jesus literally can do miraculous things with. So let me just give you an overall view of the law of the leftovers, and it is this. God adds to what he subtracts from me so he can multiply it and divide it for maximum blessing. Now you're going to have to chew on that one for a little while, like I did. Let me just give it to you again. God adds to what he subtracts from me so he can multiply it and divide it for maximum blessing. So from John's Gospel, chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000, I just want to show you how these four steps of the law of the leftovers works. But before we get into those four steps, let's just read the story. Uh, just again, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with this, but let's just... You know, hear it again. Uh, just ask God to give us fresh ears uh, to hear his word this morning. In John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, and there it says, After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Again, they, they just, they, they followed Jesus. They, they just wanted to be around him so that they could see the miracles he was doing. Then Jesus climbed a hill and he sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him, turning to Philip Jesus asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Key verse. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. 
Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and he distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces, filled the 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw Jesus do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. So with this story in mind, this miraculous story, the first step in the law of the leftovers is Jesus will ask us for something we already have. Jesus will ask us for something we already have. Now, of all of the miracles that Jesus performed, this is the only miracle Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record. Think about that. Of all of the miracles Jesus performed, and as great as they were, the only miracle every single gospel writer felt compelled to include in their gospel was this one. That's fascinating to me. It is unique, really, in a lot of ways. It is the only time Jesus really ever asked anybody's advice on what to do. Of all of the miracles Jesus performed, this miracle was seen by more people than any other miracle. Now, I don't know about you, but I just have to be honest. Of all of the miracles Jesus performed, this one would make my top three list of the ones I wished I could have seen. Last week we talked about uh, the different types of miracles, and we talked about natural miracles, and those are those eye-popping, jaw-dropping miracles. Those are those miracles where you kind of see it, and then you just want to say to Jesus, can you do that again? I want to watch that again. This is one of those miracles I think all of us would love to see happen. Now, in Matthew's version of this same miraculous event, he tells us it was evening time when this miracle took place. So it's around 6 p.m. The sun's about to set. They're way, way outside the city. They're out in the country. They didn't have a high V. There was no fairway. Worst of all, no super Walmart. A crisis is brewing, the sun is setting, evening is coming, darkness is falling, stomachs are growling, and so the story kind of begins to become very interesting. Verse 5, Jesus soon saw this huge crowd of people coming to look for him, and turning to Philip, he asked that question, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? And again, he was testing Philip for Jesus already knew what he was going to do. So how large was this crowd that was coming to Jesus? In verse 10, we're told that just the men alone numbered 5,000. Matthew tells us there were also women and children with those men. And when you just take into account how large families were back in that days, in those days, scholars estimated that that crowd could have been anywhere uh, around 25,000 people. Now just get, get, a, get a picture in your head of that. And, and just imagine you are Philip. And Jesus turns to you and says, 
where are we to buy bread so that all these people may eat? Now again, it's really important to note here, this really wasn't a question. John kind of tells us in the narrative, even though Philip doesn't know it at the time, John tells us this was a test. John 6, 6, he was, Jesus was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Remember this, anytime Jesus asks you for anything you have, it is, it, it is never a request. It is usually a test. When God asks you to do something or for something, okay, it, it, it's, he's, not, he's not giving you a request, he's, he's giving you a test. He is simply asking you this question. Do you trust me or not? Do you believe I'm able to do something here? And Jesus is about to reveal the biggest problem Philip and the rest of the disciples were facing. The biggest problem was not that the crowd didn't have enough food. The problem was the disciples did not have enough faith. And that brings us to the second part of the law of the leftovers. And that is, we should give Jesus what he asked. Philip did what we so often do when God asks us for something we don't think we can do. What do we do? We come up with all kinds of reasons and excuses why we can't do it, why this is impossible. Verse 7, Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Notice Jesus didn't ask, how much would it take? He simply said, where can we get it? Here's another thing to remember. Whenever Jesus asks you for something, Jesus knows it already can be done and how it can be done. Philip, he gets out his calculator and he starts figuring out what it would take to feed all of these people. And he comes up with about eight months wages. There's no way they had that kind of money amongst them. So he kind of just thinks, well, I'm off the hook. This is impossible. He has every reason in the world why he cannot give what Jesus is asking for. First of all, there was no place to buy that much food. I mean, it's dark. I mean, they should be serving at this time not trying to figure out where they're going to get it from. Second, even if there was a place to buy it, they didn't have enough money to pay for it. And third, even if there was a place to buy it and they had the money to pay for it, there wasn't enough time. It's dinner time now. The dinner bell's ringing. Fourth, even if there was enough time, everybody would only get a little bit of food. Philip is thinking for the first time in his life, as he's walked, as he's witnessed Jesus, for the first time he's thinking, Jesus, buddy, I got you stumped. How many times have we all figured out a reason or come up with excuses why we can't give to God what he's asking for? Tithe? I can't afford to tithe. I can barely pay my bills. Me? Go on a mission trip? I can't do that. I got a wife. I've got children to look after. And besides, I might get eaten by a big mosquito. Share my story with somebody? I can't share Jesus with anybody. I might mess up. I'm too shy. I don't know enough. And we just come up with all of these reasons and excuses why we can't give what Jesus is asking for. So one of the first things Jesus discovered in this miraculous story was not the lack of food, but the lack of faith. 
Let me tell you something. A lack of food never stops God. But a lack of faith, folks, it can stop him dead in his tracks. It is amazing. Jesus did many miracles in many places, but there's one place he didn't do hardly any miracles, and it was, of all places, his own hometown. Do you know why? Matthew 13, 58 tells us why. And Jesus did not do many mighty, mighty miracles there because of their unbelief. I mean, for us, how, how many for us is, is the fact that Mason City is kind of our hometown? It's the place we call home. How many things have we just gotten accustomed to that really aren't the way God wants them to be? But we kind of just have grown accustomed. Oh, that's just the way Mason City is. Oh, that's just the way Clear Lake is. And we kind of begin to limit God and what he can do here but we're so excited and we're, we're constantly looking at the testimonies of what God is doing everywhere else. But for some reason, we kind of just have this sense of unbelief that God could ever do any of that here. Just think, I mean, think about what Philip had witnessed up to this point as he's going into this miraculous event unfolding right before him with Jesus. But just think about what he had witnessed up to this point. He'd already seen Jesus turn water into wine. He saw Jesus heal a man's sick son. He saw Jesus give a paralytic man the ability to walk, and he raised people from the dead. He'd seen this with his own eyes, and yet here he is again. It's just like the elevator's not getting quite to the top floor. He's still pinching pennies, and he's counting nickels. All the time he didn't understand he was not to be the source of provision. When Jesus asks us for bread, remember this, we don't make the bread. We just serve it. We just, we get to eat it. We are the waiters. He is the baker. And Philip flunks his test. It looks like all is lost. And then this happens, verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they to so many? Andrew, overhearing this conversation between Jesus and Philip, he finds a little boy who's kind of brought his own sack lunch, but it's just enough for him to eat, or at least that's what it looks like on the surface. Let's focus on this little boy for just a moment. Even though all four Gospels include this miracle, it is only John's Gospel that tells us about this little boy who basically gave his sack lunch. He had done what everybody else in the crowd should have done. He brought something to feed himself. Now five loaves of bread, two fish, that may sound like a lot to you, but this was actually the meal of not just a little boy, but this was actually the meal of a poor, impoverished little boy. It was actually a small wafers. They, they could almost be akin to what we give out uh, when we do communion up here. They were kind of just really small, flat-like wafers. And that uh, word fish, it really kind of refers in the Greek to kind of these small fish-like sardines. And Andrew was right. He said, what that little boy had, it's just a little lunch. It's kind of just a midday snack. But what made that lunch little 
What made that little lunch a big lunch is what the little boy did with it when Jesus asked for it. He just freely gave it all. And this is where the miracle really begins to start. At that moment, the most valuable thing, think about this, to 25,000 people and 12 disciples was one little boy's sack lunch. Because according to the Gospels, that was all the food that was available. What made that little boy's lunch so valuable was one thing. It was available. It was available for one reason, because that little boy was willing to give what Jesus asked for. Somehow that little boy understood what the disciples just couldn't seem to get through their thick head. This wasn't a request to this little boy. It was a test to this little boy. And where the disciples flunked the test, this little boy got an A+. I remember as a little boy sitting uh, in our Lutheran church, and whenever the offering plate was passed, I'd often ask my mom, could I put the money or could I put the envelope in the offering plate? I don't know why. It was just always kind of a big thrill to me. And I've often wondered, why is it so hard for adults to give and yet so easy for children to give? The answer is simple. Adults, you've got the money, but kids, they've got the faith. There was a little boy who got into a big argument with his sister about who was going to get the last brownie, and the mom heard them kind of scrapping and fussing, and she came to kind of resolve the argument, and they were both upset, and, and they wanted that last brownie. And this wise mother, kind of seeing an opportunity to teach her kids a deeper spiritual lesson, looked at her kids and simply said, what would Jesus do in this situation? The little boy said, Mom, that is easy. Jesus would break that brownie and make 5,000 more. And before we go any further, think about this. Did Jesus really need that little boy's lunch to feed those people? No. If Jesus had wanted to, I mean, he could have turned very rocks into bread. His temptation in the wilderness taught us that much. I mean, he could have made fish jump out of the sea into boats, into the laps of people everywhere. When Jesus asks for something, it is not because he needs what we have. It is because we need to give what he asks so we can learn to trust him. That's what the tithe is all about. It is not about getting your money. It is about you trusting God with all things. And if you won't do it with the tithe, chances are you won't do it with anything else. That's why the tithe is so important. When you take that step of faith and you give Jesus what he asked for, you do what he wants you to do, even when you think of the many reasons and excuses why you cannot or should not, then you're going to see the third part of this law go into effect, and it is this. Jesus will use what you give him. Verse 10, Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. Now the disciples, they're probably already thinking, okay, Jesus has kind of really lost his mind on this one. Then he does something really outrageous. He gives thanks for these little scraps of food. 
I don't know what he said in that Thanksgiving prayer, but I'm sure he thanked God for that little boy. I'm sure he thanked God for that little boy's faith. I'm sure he thanked God for that little boy's food. And I am sure he thanked God for the opportunity to demonstrate the law of the leftovers. What you are seeing is one of the ways God operates. Jesus asked for what he wants. We should give to Jesus what he asks. Jesus will then use what we give. And are you ready for this? God loves to use the little things. If you get nothing else out of this morning, get those words into your heart. God loves to use the little things. It's not that God can't use big things. He does. But he loves to use the little small things. Things that may to you seem insignificant, trivial, paltry. Because that is when God gets the greatest glory. And that is when he grows the greatest increase of faith in you and I. You may think what you have to give to God is small. You may think it's trivial. You may think it doesn't matter. It's insignificant. Some of the greatest things that God ever uses are the little things. Did you ever notice that in the scripture? Think of all the little things that God used in the Bible to accomplish unbelievable things. A slingshot in the hands of a young shepherd boy. A widow's might, a teenage, poverty-stricken, virgin girl. Faith the size of a mustard seed. God loves to use the small things. Think about this. Do you know what really determines the value of something? Whose hand it's in. You buy a Major League Baseball on Amazon for about $12, if you bought that baseball, put it in my hand, it would be worth about $12. If you put it into the hands of a top-shelf major league pitcher like Nolan Ryan, and then suddenly that baseball becomes worth millions. Depends on whose hands it's in. What made that little boy's lunch so valuable was not how big it was, but what he did with it. The only thing you have that is of any value is what you're willing to give to God. Now we are about to see how the law of the leftovers works. Jesus asks what he wants, and we give him what he asks. He uses what we give him, and then the fourth part of the law of the leftovers comes into effect. Jesus blesses what he uses. Verse 12, and when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. This is just amazing. I mean, nobody could eat another bite. Yet there were 12 baskets left over. And again, these are not small baskets. The Greek word for baskets is where we get the English word coffin. It means large heavy baskets. I mean, they had enough food left over. They could have started their own super Walmart. Do you know why this miracle is so important to you and to me? That little boy represents you and I. We all have 
lunches in our possession. We all have talents, abilities, times, resources that God can use and ask for. That little boy could have kept that lunch to himself and fed himself, but everybody else would have gone hungry. But because that little boy trusted Jesus, gave him what he asked for, Jesus used what he gave, and he blessed what he used. There's just one detail you cannot miss. That little boy gave all of his lunch to the Lord because obviously Jesus asked for all of his lunch. He didn't say, Lord, now you can just have, you know, a couple bits of the bread. Lord, you can only have one of the fish. I'll keep the other one. No, he gave everything Jesus asked for. Now, what is the lesson? If you want to experience the law of the leftovers, the blessing of the law of the leftovers, if you want God to add to what he subtracts from you and to multiply it and divide it so it can be a blessing to others, you've got to give him everything. Do you want to experience life to the fullest? You want to know what it's like to benefit from the law of the leftovers? Then quit hiding your lunch. Or quit acting like your lunch is too small. What you have is too insignificant. There's so many other more capable and qualified people. God doesn't need my contribution. God doesn't need my talent, my ability. Quit that. The only thing that gives life meaning and purpose is what we can give to Jesus. Think about how many men were on that hillside, 5,000. Does the scripture even name one of them? No. And yet here we are over 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about that one little boy. You know who really got blessed that day? It wasn't the crowd. Because I'm sure as they finished eating the food, They just went on to think about other things. No, the one that got blessed that day was that little boy. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? When he walked into the house that evening and his mom said to him, hey, Billy, how'd it go with Jesus? And he said, mom, you should have been there. He took my small lunch and he fed 25,000 people. And I'm sure his mom, as she's hearing this, just must have thought, he's just exaggerating, he's kind of pulling my leg. Do you ever wonder what they did with those 12 baskets of leftovers? I have. Like I said earlier, I think that little boy and his family were impoverished like most families were in those days. As this little boy is telling his family the miracle Jesus did with his small lunch, and they're probably having a hard time believing, I can just see this little boy saying, no, no, really, he did. And you know what? He sent me home with one of those 12 baskets of leftovers. And then he and his whole family run outside to the front yard and see this huge basket full of food, enough food to feed him and his family and probably the whole neighborhood for a week. Why do you think this miracle is in the Bible? Why do you think all four gospel writers made sure they included this story in their book? Why do you think we are told clearly there were 12 baskets left over? 
When you give everything to Jesus and you trust him to meet your needs, you will find that Jesus is not only all you need, but he is more than what you need. There is not a problem, no matter how big or small, there is not a problem in your life Jesus can't solve. Not one. There is not a hunger or a thirst he cannot satisfy. There is not a need you have that Jesus cannot meet. There is not a hurt you have that Jesus cannot heal. There is not a question you have that Jesus cannot answer. So give him your money. Give him your job. Give him your kids. Give him your marriage. Give him your time. Give him your talents. Give him your love. Give him your life. And when you do, you will find so many others will be blessed by what you give. And you, my friend, will be able to enjoy the leftovers. Amen? Let's stand. Father, we just thank you so much for what you're revealing to our hearts in this story this morning. God, I just pray, Lord, that each one of us here this morning could just have the eyes, the heart, the faith of that little boy. And Father, as we stand before you this morning, and God, we are all surrounded and we possess many, many small things. Some of those things, God, that they're so small, we may not even think about them very often. They may seem so insignificant that we've already kind of written them off as unusable. And yet, God, this morning we are reminded of the great and mighty things that you can do with little things. Things that seem insignificant and trivial. And so this morning, God, as we just stand in your presence, God, I just pray, Lord, if there's anything, Lord, that we have, anything that we possess this morning, and I'm not just talking financial here this morning, so much more, that, God, whatever small little things that maybe we possess that may seem so unmighty, weak, that, God, you would have great plans, awesome plans for that small little thing. But God, I believe every one of us in this room possesses many small little things that in your hands could be powerful and mighty. And so God, this morning is we just listen for your voice we just discern the moving of your spirit in our spirit this morning. That God, would you just begin to speak and to, and to move and just to call forth, to call out those little things, those small things, God, that you want to use this morning. That you would take from us. That we would give that you would bless it, you would multiply it, and God, you would use it to bless the multitudes. And God, I, I just come against any 
unbelief. I come against any excuses or reasons that we may begin to make as you begin to reveal those small things that, God, we would begin to question, that we would enter into a place of unbelief. And, God, we don't want to do that this morning. We just want to respond by that, like that little boy did. God, you need it. Here it is. All of it. Use it and bless it. So, Father, this morning as we just stand before you, God, I just pray, Lord, that you would just, again, speak, move, reveal to us, God, those small little things that you want to use to do big and mighty things. And, God, as we give that, Lord, that we know that it's going to re be returned to us 30, 60, 100-fold, that, God, we will begin to enjoy the leftovers from that thing that was so small and so insignificant. So God, this morning we just want to come like that little boy and just give it all to you, Jesus. We just like the crowds, Lord, we just, we stand anticipating, God, what it is you're going to do with that, how you're going to use that. And God, we're just going to marvel. We're just going to stand in awe, God, of what you've done with our little small things here this morning. We just thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.